Welcome back to Crescent in the Afternoon. Tom Nash, Catholic apologist, theologian, filling in for Al, who is down at Franciscan University of Steubenville for the Defending the Faith Conference. Our guest this segment and the next two segments this hour is Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. He's a priest of the Diocese of Syracuse and a research associate professor at Catholic University of America. But you might know him most for his recent book and also for other activities. That is the book Diary of an American Exorcist. Now, he's also a licensed psychologist and has been the chief exorcist for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. For, for more than 13 years. And he currently heads the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal, whose ministry involves exorcisms, deliverance, praying, and support and renewal of priestly uh, spirituality. Welcome to the program, Monsignor. Congratulations on a great book. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you. You know the devil, and you know the devil well. My point, I was going to say, before we get into exorcisms per se, is that we know that the devil is an inveterate liar, right? That, as Jesus says, uh, the liar and father of lies. And yet, the devil ends up giving testimony to the truth because we can count on the devil as a witness to truth, would you say, insofar as, as I tell my Protestant brothers and sisters, said, look, guys, the devil and his minions do not look for mere grape juice or wine, or bread, they look for the Eucharistic real thing, and that's why they call it a black mass, number one. And then number two, we can see that the devil is reliable insofar as some of the priests he has harassed over the years mostly have been tremendous confessors. I think of Padre Pio, I think of uh, John Vianney, that the devil in his opposition to the church affirms the reality of the church. What do you think about that? Indeed, one of the great graces of the ministry of exorcism is you learn firsthand, right in front of you, the truths of the faith. And what I would say is everything that Jesus and the Catholic Church teaches is true. And because I've learned it, I mean, we learn it intellectually, but we've experienced it in our ministry. How about the fact that you are also a licensed psychologist? A lot of people think, oh my goodness, the Catholic Church, it's all in their, these people's heads, it's psychological, it's psychiatric, give them some medication. And yet... You're trained, and you have psychiatrists to work with you to see to rule out, if you will, the medical uh, possibilities that someone may be suffering from simply that, or or has nothing to do with possession. Well, it's a good uh, discipline to know, being a licensed psychologist, and because I need, I do need to know the difference between uh, someone's got psychological problems, and and many people come to us do, but there are some who actually have real demonic issues. And they've been to psychologists, uh, they're basically saying people, therapy doesn't help, medications don't help, but after a few sessions, sometimes they get a lot better right away. And, and, and so it's, uh, and something's happened that you just can't explain uh, with modern psychology. Examples regarding that, what are some of the things that would be manifestations or signs that we're dealing with something more than just a psychological, psychiatric, or other than that? Yeah. I'll give you an example. Uh, a young woman comes to us. Uh, she first she says she's seeing these shadow people at night, and and she, and which sounds strange, you know, these sort of uh, demonic-looking figures. But we kind of we, we didn't react too strongly to that. Mm-hmm. Then she wakes up, and then uh, starting with these unexplained bruises and scratches and cuts, and 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 then. Well, I still didn't react too strongly, but then she starts having this occult knowledge. She starts mm. knowing things about some of the priests around her that she shouldn't know, and no way she could know. And so we bring her in 
we started praying over her. And by the way, after you know speaking with her and analyzing her, she's very sane, just a down to earth, uh, as I say, that like the girl next door. Mm. And and then and then what happens? We start praying over her eyes. Roll back, you see the whites of her eyes. Uh, she uh, flops on the floor and starts strongly reacting to holy water, uh, crucifixes, the rite of exorcism. And, and then this demonic presence comes forth, this evil presence, which uh, no actor could, could imitate. It's just as an incredibly evil thing. And, uh, and so the, f- the fight begins. Uh, that it lasts about a year and a half, and thank God she's freed. But it was no doubt in anyone's mind that this woman was possessed. That's the issue of clairvoyance, occult knowledge, that people knowing something that they would have no other way of knowing were not for, sadly, yeah. the impact of the devil. The movie The Exorcist, which I enjoy, I might have a couple edits on it, but I like how the fact that they, in the movie, they show, they get rid of the psychological and psychiatric, they rule that out before yeah. the possession uh case goes forward and i like how in the movie it kind of got a subtext if you will that the psychiatrist priest is moving away from faith and then you've got this agnostic woman played by ellen burston who doesn't believe and i and i love the part where they said to her well do you have any religious beliefs and she says no and she goes well the catholic church has this thing they kind of keep it in a closet out of embarrassment you know the people's belief in possession is what caused the issue and now they believe that someone could exercise them to get them out and i love how she just says so what you're telling me you want me to take my daughter to a witch doctor is that it so she basically you guys can't help me and now you're going to make fun of the catholics and i'm calling you on it and then of course she ends up going there and all these various manifestations. I just like that the movie takes the reality seriously, and then, of course, the uh, the possession and the exorcism that takes place yeah. as a result of, well, of faithfulness. It's based on a real case, you know. Exactly. Uh, right. It was it was a case of a, actually it was a young man, a twelve year old young uh, young man who was using a Ouija board for months, mm. and uh, the notes are available from the Jesuit who led the exorcism. And which I found fascinating to read. I have seen uh, some of that, Mon- Monsignor like Halloran, I believe. Yeah, I, I very much like our experience too. That's one thing that really surprises me is that we have, the, believe it or not, we have these exorcist conferences. They're very quietly uh, conducted, mm. and we start comparing notes, uh, and we find out that our experiences are very similar to other exorcists around the globe, although we've never discussed it and. You start to realize there, there, there are these commonalities which we all are experiencing. What I like in your book uh, in particular is that you talk about, hey, if you're not praying to God, if you're not praying to one of the saints and asking their help, uh, you're contacting spirits and you're dialing the wrong number. You, and the Ouija board is a classic example of that. People think this is fun and games or, you know, I, I, I get the impression, what do you think, Monsignor, that some people... It's like they don't want to uh, take the discipline of the faith, but this idea of having occult knowledge and power and or having knowledge or some kind of contact beyond the dead, they find this somehow attractive. But uh, they're, 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 how do I say, <laughs> dealing with something much more powerful than they are, as you've seen firsthand. Well, this is one of the very great dangers today, and I want everyone to listen to this. You know, we're supposed to be praying to God and the angels and the saints, of course, but uh, and our Blessed Mother, but if you're not, if you're sort of dialing some sort of vague spiritual energy, which like so many people are doing today, or practicing witchcraft, uh, uh, or doing occult practices, uh, who's answering your call? Mm. Uh, who, who's giving you the spiritual energy? 
uh, probably Satan, and whether you believe it or not or intend it or not. So I'm very concerned, and we've had a number of people come to us who have been practicing witchcraft or thought they were good witches and find out that, uh, you know, they were in league with Satan, even though they didn't believe it or didn't, didn't intend it. And then, um, but they get drawn in, right? Get they get drawn in and then they might be getting nice messages, but because they've been consenting, consenting, and then they're drawn into a power that, uh, yeah. well, the devil, the devil takes charge. I, well, you know, let me give you an example, okay. which I've used often, but it's so illuminative. Young woman's uh, practicing Reiki for a while. Mm. Uh, then her uh, f- uh, grandparent dies. She loved her grandparent. So she decides to channel their, the, 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 dead, the spirit of their dead uh, grandparent. So she takes a pen, puts it in her non-dominant hand, and then starts to try to channel the spirit and then goes into this automatic writing. Uh-oh. And then she gets these glowing loving letters from the supposedly from the dead grandparent this goes on for months and then after about six months the letters all of a sudden go south and she realizes it was not her grandparents she was in communication with it was a demon and so she rightly was terrified and comes to us to uh, break this relationship and cast out the demons this reminds me when you and i are a little younger you're a little older than i but you remember uh that, uh, shall we say, it was, it was kind of a soap opera back late 60s, early 70s called Dark Shadows. And there was you know, a lot of people or young, young ladies in particular would watch it. But now we're seeing things on uh, a grander, not a good level where people are, are whether it's uh, seances, you got movies mm-hmm. like Ouija board, you've got mm-hmm. other situations where people are um, dabbling in the occult uh, it's it's not something to play with because, as you say, the person on the other end of the line is not your friend. No, absolutely. Uh, your best defense. People get nervous by this sort of thing. Uh, well, they should. Yes. Uh, but uh, we should trust. I tell people we should trust in Jesus. Your best defense is practicing the faith. Yes. And and when you practice the faith, the Lord protects you. Uh, but when you don't, you be you you. Getting gotten rid of the real shield of the Christ, and then then if you start committing serious sins, you've got this real vulnerability, and then if you start doing occult stuff, it's it's like giving Satan a ticket into your life. So if you add those three up, stop practicing the faith, uh, commit serious sins, and then start practicing the occult, you do it long enough, and you're going to have a problem. Speaking with Monsignor Stephen Rossetti who is the author of the new book, Diary of an American Exorcist. And we're discussing on Crest in the Afternoon some of his experiences. Have you ever talked to Dr. Richard Gallagher, uh, the psychiatrist? Uh, indirectly. Uh, I do know of him, and uh, I know he's got a lot of experience and uh, very knowledgeable. Yeah, psychiatrist based out of New York for our listeners who may not know of him, and he's written a book recently on some of his own actions. But I remember a few years ago, because I gave a talk on... Uh, the devil factor fiction. I've, uh, I've given it uh, in, in Minnesota on a, one of the campuses there, uh, Minnesota State University, Mankato. But the point I was going to make with regard to Father, uh, excuse me, Dr. Gallagher, is that one of his cases where he's speaking to um, a priest about this case, and then he, they're cross country, and then in the middle of this conversation, they have an intervention on the line of one of the, de- the demons speaking in the, it's a woman, in one of the demonic voices. It's like, uh, how do you explain that? 
other than yeah. the preternatural. Of course, you've had things where you've got texts, have you not, from people, yeah. uh, and and you you you've, it comes from people say, well, it must be somebody pranking you. Well, no, you've gone back and you you see it's coming from the possessed person's phone, but then there's no record of it. But yet you got on your own phone evidence yeah. of it, right? Well, when you read these texts, you know exactly where it's coming from. They're really ugly. And one case, very recently, for example, the, the possessed person was manifesting, uh, and then the phone was actually a few feet away from her. Mm. And someone was, one of the friends was in the room looking at the phone, and the phone was typing on a message by itself. Oh. Uh, so, we, so it was kind of freaky. It freaked a friend out to watch this happen. So I could appreciate sure they, the demons can text. We've got phone calls from demons, believe it or not, and uh, it's really ugly. We will continue the conversation just on the other side of this break. Speaking of Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, Diary of an American Exorcist. We'll be right back in just a few moments. This week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know, do you think it's ethical for journalists to use cell phone data in investigative reporting? Fill out our poll now at AveMariaRadio.net. Scroll down on the homepage and click on Poll of the Week. Welcome back to Crescent in the Afternoon. This is Tom Nash filling in for Al. We're speaking to Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, author of Diary of an American Exorcist from Sophia Institute Press. Also, you can get it from the online bookstore right here at AveMariaRadio.net. Monsignor, we were talking about the issue of texting, and that was rather a spooky thing where the person saw the her friend's phone, even though it wasn't in her hand, actually texting. That oh. something that doesn't happen on its own. But then the other thing you mentioned about some people, some of the ugly texts you've gotten from demons, and people might say, well, weren't those burner phones? I just want to make that point clear that have I think outside the book, I've heard something more recently where you pointed out that some of these texts have come from possessed people's phones, and even though they're not, uh, you can't see them on the phone when you go check it, they came from that number, yes? Yes. Uh, sometimes they come from that number. Uh, sometimes you're not sure. Sometimes they come from just nowhere, it seems. Other times we get phone calls, not too many. Usually we get these sorts of things in big cases, you know, mm. not those lesser deliverance cases, but a real case of, a full-out fight in, a, in, a, in a, an exorcism. So, again, uh, but it's not, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, when demons are infesting a house, for example, they're turning the lights on and off, the, the electronics on and off, they're messing with the television sets and all sorts of things. Now, of course, they, can, they mess with the cell phones. Uh, so they mess with electronics all the time. Yeah, they do have that thing, sadly, for electronics. And also, I've talked to exorcists where people have said that temperatures have dropped 20 degrees like within an oh, yeah. instant and it's like uh this just doesn't can't be attributed to shall we say natural causes because uh temperature otherwise outside hadn't changed I and mean, that's what's usually going to affect oh, something yeah. actually you know there there are common things that happen in exorcisms which cannot be explained naturally uh one thing for example is that people they'll throw they'll vomit up uh, stuff, uh, the possessed will vomit up stuff when they're being liberated, which could not have been in their stomach. We had someone vomit up uh, a, a, a bolt, a steel bolt in a washer, uh, which could not have been in their stomach as the person was liberated. Turns out that was connected to the person who uh, 
as we appear, is curse them and mm. and result in them being possessed. Also, there's all sorts of things that happen in exorcisms. Not to mention, uh, you know, people talk about levitations and things like that 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 you just can't explain. But but we should realize that you know Jesus did exorcisms. They're they're shot through the New Testament, and the church is just simply continuing the mission of Christ. And it's sad when I see sometimes people, even priests, who will say, oh, the devil's not a real person. It's like, oh, my goodness. I remember there was Father Labar. I'm sure you remember him from years ago, chief exorcist yeah. of New York. And he was on he was on Nightline, uh, the old uh, ABC program with the great Ted Koppel. And, and I remember Ted Koppel said to to Father McBrien, he says, Father, I take it. I take it as a Catholic priest. You believe in the devil. And he would not affirm the personhood of the devil. And he talked about, you know, he that there is evil, but if you talk about somebody with a, with a pitchfork and horns and things, you know, in other words, a caricature of the devil, it's like, oh my goodness. And then Father Labar says, uh, yes, the devil is real. And of course, you've seen these manifestations. And one of them that you mentioned in the book that struck me was that the people having problems with uh, the plumbing, I think it was at one of the rectories, right? Uh, huh. and, and, it, yeah. and they come in and they look at it, hey, everything's fine, but yet it gets clogged up again. And yet it was holy water that did the trick. Ironically, well, enough. it was a huge case, and this pre one of the guys who helping me, the priest helping me, was complaining that for two weeks the plumbers could not fix the whole plumbing problem, and then you can imagine it was, the whole system was back and was a problem. So finally, I looked at him and said, "Listen, throw some holy water, see what happens." The minute he threw some holy water on it, it uh, cleared up. Now, I don't want to suggest that most people's plumbing problems are demonic. No, but there are times when demons enter our lives and our world, and they can affect it very directly. And we see it all the time. And didn't that case, uh, didn't they come in and check, hey, uh, things are okay? I mean, when they when they examined it, weren't they saying they didn't see a clog? Yeah. You well, know? yeah, no, the, 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 the plumbers were saying it was fine. They couldn't find anything wrong with it. That happens with people all the time who come to us with, with medical problems. Mm. Most medical problems do need a physician. But there's times when some people's medical problems are strange. They don't seem to be a, a, make sense medically. Uh, there's, there are signs that there's a demonic presence in their life. They come to us. We pray over them, uh, and, and it lifts. We had someone recently who had these all sorts of neurological problems. Mm. Uh, the doctor said they couldn't figure out what was wrong with the person. And so, but, and, but there were some demonic things going on in her life. We started praying over her, and right now about 80 or 90% of it's gone already. Uh, you mentioned about of a case uh, regarding the plumbing. I have a, an example in my own life, which I think defies uh, natural explanation. I was a grad student at Franciscan University of Steubenville, Monsignor. And uh, one person, a previous roommate at the house, had left behind a book on spiritual warfare. And so I start reading it. And then, honestly, true story, this foul stench comes up from the basement. I'm thinking, okay, I grew up in the city of Detroit. You know, you have sewers back up, things like that periodically. And it just hung in the air for two hours and people, you know, roommates coming home, hey, what's that? What's that? And we had the landlady look at it. They, they checked the drains and all that. It was clean as a whistle. There was nothing there. There was no clog. And that never happened before. And it never happened since. And I lived there four years. And it's like, Try to explain that and, and think it's a coincidence. Um, I've, I mean, just even preparing for this program, I was trying to contact one priest who I've known for a long time, and I sent him an email. I said, boy, he hasn't gotten me back. It was gonna be in the, we were going to talk in the second hour of the program today. And then I contacted him, and I said, hey, I'm going to go a different direction. Thanks a lot, Father. And I get here back. He gives me a call. He goes, hi. I responded to you immediately. I said, you did? 
and mm-hmm. said, yeah, he goes, check, maybe it's your junk mail. And it's like, yeah, I know things can go in junk mail, but when you initiate contact of somebody you've you know, written yeah. many times yeah. and it's, it's an individual, not a bulk email, that they would respond to you and it would go to your, uh, to your uh, bulk email. It just seems... Well, I encourage people to download our app called Catholic Exorcism. It's a free app, Catholic Exorcism. There's a whole bunch of good deliverance prayers in there for the laity as well as for uh, clergy and religious. One of them is the Umberlino Prayer for Technology. I've had many cases, just like what you said, where a possessed person will call me, or try to call me, or a priest calling me with a, uh, an exorcism problem and wants to consult, and the phone keeps un- inexplicably dropping. Mm. And so then what happens is, is we say this Umberlino Prayer to protect our technology, and then the call goes through just fine. So there are times when the demons will mess with the phone lines and not let uh, the call go through until we say a prayer for it. And where can you get that app online? You can just from, from uh, any I, app store? Uh, the, uh, I, Apple or uh, Google Apps, are the, uh, it's called Catholic Exorcism. Okay. You can download the app. Just, just search for Catholic Exorcism. Lots of good deliverance prayers there. And, uh, we, and I use it myself. I mean, I have lots of great prayers there. The time we have left, let's talk about uh, serving as an exorcist. It's so important for an exorcist to be humble, to trust in Jesus Christ, to not get into conversation with a demon. Can you talk about that? Oh well, that's key. Uh, the demons are always jerking me around. They're always mm. saying, "They're always saying you're a, you're a great exorcist, and we can't stand you." That they're trying to inflame my pride, mm. or they're saying you're a bum, Rosetti, and you have no power over us. <laughs> my response to all that is always the same. You know, I am a sinner. I'm a lousy exorcist, but but I'm not your problem. Your problem is Jesus, and in Jesus' name, I cast you out. Satan is always trying to egg me into a uh, you know face to face fight. I'm no match for Satan, and, and I'm not the guy who, who, who uh, casts him out Jesus. Jesus casts him out. So that's very important. Uh, and I tell new exorcists, you know, hide behind Jesus. There you go. You know, whatever the demons say to you, your response is Jesus, and Jesus casts you out. And when, it reminds me of what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, that um, power reaches perfection and weakness, and that if we stay close to Christ and humble— And any spiritual warfare that we might encounter, any difficulty in life, that God can work great good out of it. You know, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. So, would you, with somebody, I I guess that's probably a passage you would probably share with um, with young exorcists. Say, hey, like you say, trust in Christ because in your weakness is your power because you're relying on Him and not on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for example, what a great exorcist, of course. Par excellence is the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, she, mm. she stomps on Lucifer's head. And, and, and how does she do that? She, she's the humble handmaid of the Lord. She is full of love and grace. And, and she just shows up. All she needs to do is just show up in the room, and the demons can't get out of the room fast enough you know, because of her humble uh, purity and kindness and love. And uh, yes, absolutely. So... We need to we need to, to invoke her as well as our son Jesus. And humility is foundational. While the virtue of love is the greatest, I always say you need to get humility right before you get love right, or to make sure you get love right. That is, you need to be recognizing God. You need to be following Him, and yeah. and the truth that says is free. Because as you note in your book, you know there could be virgins, for example, in hell, but there aren't any humble people. Right. No. That uh, and there's no uh, there's no humility in hell. 
There's no obedience in hell. There's not a drop of love in hell. I mean, the demons are pure evil, and uh, they hate each other, and they hate you. So that's why we, we as when we do this ministry, we have to rely on the Lord and, and let his grace work through us. One other thing I was thinking briefly is that this analogy between um, purgatory and somebody in uh, possession, uh, that we can be forgiven of sins, right? But we might have to be detached from them uh, in, in purgatory because we have these attachments. There's a difference between being forgiven of a vice and still being attached to it. And similarly, it seems like with some of the cases that take maybe months or even years with somebody, that they have, even though they might have gone to confession, that they still are kind of got ingrained habits with the demonic. Would you think that's a fair analogy to make? Absolutely, and that's one of the things the Catholic Church uh, has often taught and always taught, teaches and has gotten right, is that, sure, I mean, we start by confessing our sins. Very, very important. We always have people go to confession. Mm. But then there's a slow process of purification. And an exorcism really is a process of conversion. Again, it's not magic. It's uh, the Lord's power comes in Jesus. But it's a process of conversion, slow sanctification of the uh, an argument we call the the possessed person, and so eventually the possessed person no longer becomes uh, a host for the demonic, but is full of grace, and the demons have to leave. I was thinking one other thing. Uh, we got just about two minutes left in the program uh, in this segment. I was thinking about a case in Indiana. Uh, and and I remember talking to some people when I spoke to some atheists afterwards at Minnesota University Mankato, and what the case was in Indiana, and you may be aware of it, where at one point this young man, actually a child, about nine years old, st- holding his grandmother's hand, walked up backwards on a wall, then to the yeah. ceiling, and he's like gliding, kind of like Michael Jackson in the moonwalk, and then he flips yeah. over, and then there's a social worker who, if she falsifies, can lose her job. There's a male nurse who, both of them had no dog in the fight, and they both give the same testimony that this actually happened. And it's not, we don't fear the devil, but we also have to be humble and recognizing, you know what? He affirms, like you said, the reality. So sometimes people come to realize the reality of God and the power of God by realizing evil spirits exist, right? Yes, and uh, most of the time, Satan tries to hide and just quietly tempt us. But there are these cases, like you just mentioned, where these things happen, you say, this is not humanly possible. And uh, like people levitating or whatever, I mean, this is not humanly possible. Uh, or the case that you mentioned, this, uh, this young uh, lad walking on the, on the ceiling of the, the room, which seen by uh, a number of uh, professionals. So, yeah, every once in a while, of course, that in our ministry, we, we see these inexplicable things all the time. I guess the bottom line is that people fear for someone being possessed, talk to a doctor, talk to a priest, and then go from there, huh? Well, uh, we, we encourage people to do med- use medical sciences, but, but when it seems like it's not medical, but maybe uh, spiritual, then, uh, then they might need uh, the help of a priest. Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, his book, Diary of an American Exorcist, highly recommended. 